Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with another installment of Tough Truths. Again this week, we find Jesus clarifying Old Testament teaching that the Jewish religious leaders had either misinterpreted or deliberately twisted for their own gain, this time on the subject of true oaths rather than trivial promises. Turn your Bible to Matthew 5, 33-37 as we listen in on Tell the Truth from Pastor David Wilson. I hope you have Jesus because if you have Jesus, you don't need anything else to be saved. It's one of the things that he's trying to get across on the Sermon on the Mount. There are a lot of religious people in the world. You would be amazed how many people are going through rituals and activities today thinking they're making themselves more holy. Now, there's nothing wrong with studying the Word of God and worshiping, obviously. But there are people going through rituals. Some people think you have to have communion in order to be saved. You don't take communion to be saved. You take communion because you are saved. There's a difference in knowing Christ and His grace. You can't be saved on your own. And that is what Jesus has been talking about in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've got to come with nothing to offer God. Now, the scribes and Pharisees were pretty religious people. And in verse 20, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean they were going to make it? No. What he was saying is, you folks think the scribes and Pharisees are the most religious, holy people that you know, and I'm here to tell you, they don't even come close to being saved. And here's why. Because they haven't dealt with the heart. You go through the outward motions, but the heart is a problem. I want to begin reading in verse 33, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to be people of integrity and truth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Read about a fifth grader. His name was Johnny. He was always late for school. And every time he came in late, he had a big lie explaining it. The teacher was fed up with his lies and told him, if you come in late again, I'm going to take you to the principal's office. Well, the next day, he showed up two hours late. And here's his story. 
I left home two hours early today, so I had time to fish in a pond on my way to school. I caught a 17-pound trout and had to take it home. If I hadn't cleaned it and put it in the freezer, my mom would have been mad. That's why I'm late. Teacher grabbed him by the arm, took him to the principal's office. She explained what had been happening and told him the story that Johnny had just told her. The principal thought to himself, I'm going to tell this boy a lie so big he'll never tell another lie again. So the principal sat down in front of Johnny and he said, let me tell you about my trip to school this morning. I was walking to school through the park when I heard something behind me. I turned around. There was a giant grizzly bear behind me. He was 24 feet tall, had six-inch fangs. He was going to eat me, Johnny. But just then, a little dog ran out from the bushes, jumped on the bear, killed it, and ate the whole bear right there in front of me. Now, what do you think about that, Johnny? And Johnny smiled and said, yeah, that's my dog, Sparky. It's his third bear this week. three boys were bragging about their dads. First one said, my dad can shoot an arrow and make it to the target before the arrow hits it. Second boy said, well, my dad can shoot a deer with a gun 500 yards away and be there to catch the deer before it hits the ground. Third boy said, that's nothing. My dad works for the government. He can punch out at 4.30 in the afternoon and be home by 3.45. This is the fourth of six illustrations that Jesus uses to show the wickedness of heart. These religious people thought they were so good that they had limited their traditions to a certain act. For example, he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. And they had limited it to that. If, if I have not actually killed somebody, then I'm not guilty of murder. But Jesus said, no, if you've got bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness and you, and you hate your brother and so forth, he said, you've already murdered them in your heart. He talked about the sanctity of life. And then he talked about the sanctity of marriage. He said, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. And, and they limited it to the very act. Well, just because I've never had relationship with another man's wife, I'm free of that. But he said, no, you've already got an adulterous type heart because you're looking at people, looking at women, lusting for them. And then he carries it a step further. And he said, even in the divorce, that even in the hardness of your heart, God gave you not an opportunity, but he allowed it in certain circumstances. He said, in that time, they were saying, well, I've never been divorced, but they could divorce their wife for any reason. Burn the toast. See ya. You've embarrassed me. I see you. And so Roman men had 15 to 20 wives before it was over with. And Jesus was saying, all you're doing is creating more adultery by your legal term of it. Again, showing them their heart. Now he talks about swearing, not cursing, swearing, taking an oath, making a vow. And they had it down pat. They had it down where that they could make an oath and still lie. It's interesting. A recent study revealed that most people lie to others once or twice a day and deceive about 30 people a week. The average is seven times per hour if you count all the times people lie to themselves. Studies have found that people lie in 30 to 38% of all their interactions. College students lie in 50% of conversations with their mothers. 
10 million people lie each year to the IRS. 80% lie on their resumes. 70% of all doctors lie to insurance companies. 100% of dating couples surveyed lied to each other in about a third of their conversations. 20 to 30% of middle managers surveyed had written fraudulent internal reports. 95% of participating college students surveyed said they were willing to tell at least one lie to a potential employer to win a job. 41% had already done so. So on the average, it's estimated that we lie or we are lied to about 200 times each day. And society has basically said lying is the way to live. But Jesus said lying is the way to lose. And when it comes to what Jesus had to say, it was the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Interesting prayer that was some years reported by the United Press International. That shows you how long ago it was, but it was actually the chaplain of the Kansas Senate. Listen to what he said. Here's his prayer. Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing, the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is talking about telling the truth. So, first of all, he illustrates it by beginning with what I call the principle of trustworthy pledges. Was it okay to make an oath using God's name? Yes. You see, there's a distinction between oaths and vows. Now, not much of one, but there is a little distinction there. Two different words are used here in this passage. One word was often used, it, it was, an oath was a promise to accept certain consequences if something wasn't done. This would happen. So you made an oath. I promise it will happen or certain consequences are going to happen to me. A vow, on the other hand, was a promise concerning consequences that would be done. Do you see the difference is we make a vow, I promise to do this. Well, the vows came from two different Greek terms. One meant to perjure yourself or to swear falsely or to make false vows. The second means to enclose or fence in or to bind together. I'm binding myself to do this. The, the oath was I'm, I'm going to... I will perjure myself if I don't tell you the truth. There's consequences if I don't follow through. The vow said I, I'm binding myself to do something. Now, in the Old Testament, when you swore by someone, you were invoking that person in two ways. You were asking them to support you as a witness to attest to your words and then you were also asking them to judge against you if your words were found to be untrue. So if you invoked an oath greater than yourself, you were asking that person to verify that you were trustworthy and if you were not to be your judge. Now, this stuff that they had come up with, the scribes and Pharisees, was really a combination of ideas. Let me read to you three passages out of the Old Testament. 
Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And then Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and it would be sin to you. Now, we get a, a clear description of this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 16, for men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as a confirmation is an end of every dispute. In other words, if I make an oath using the name of someone greater than me, then hopefully that's going to be the end of the dispute. And God allowed oaths to be given. You know why? Because he knew that our nature would be to distrust one another. Do you trust everything you read? Heavens, I hope not. If you read it on the internet, it doesn't mean it's true. God knows that men are inclined to lie. And to distrust each other. And so a serious situation, a serious situation, now remember that term, a serious circumstance or situation, an oath was permissible to give and to use greater motivation to tell the truth to keep a pledge. When we make a wedding vow under God, that's a pretty serious vow, isn't it? It's supposed to be. I'm not so sure many people take it seriously anymore. They're not even going to make a commitment. They just start the wrong way. But, but, but a wedding vow, you're saying, under God, I promise to give myself to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for dumb and dumber, whatever. <laughs> we recognize under God. Now, obviously an oath, no matter how strong the words are used, is only as reliable as to the one who's making it. One lady was talking to another lady, her neighbor. She said, can you tell by your husband's face if he's lying? And she said, if his lips are moving, he's lying. <laughs> Think about when Peter denied Jesus. Now, you can read this in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69. You know how when Jesus was arrested, he was taken before the Sanhedrin. The apostle Peter followed him afar off. And the scripture says that a young lady, a, a, a young maiden, came up to him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean, to which Peter said, I do not know what you're talking about. First lie. Well, then another servant girl made a similar statement a little while later, and Peter denied it with an oath. A little stronger statement. And still later, when other bystanders made the same assertion, Peter began to, it says he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. Now, that swearing was not profanity, but an oath given with special intensity. He increased 
the intensity of his statement by making an oath. But he was still lying. And not only that, it was bad enough to have lied. It was even worse to have called on God as a witness to the lie. And in addition to denying the Lord, Peter used God's name in vain. No No wonder that he went out and wept bitterly. Now, by the Old Testament law, oaths oaths were only to be made in God's name. Listen to the scripture, Deuteronomy 6.13. He's talking to the the, um, Israelites. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. And then there's Isaiah 65.16. He who is blessed in the earth shall be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Jeremiah 12, 16 said even the Gentiles were to use God's name when they uh, made an oath or a vow. It says, then it will come about that if they really learn the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, then they would be built up in the midst of my people. Jeremiah 12, 16. God established the seriousness of keeping an oath, a promise. Leviticus 5, verse 4. If a person swears thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, in whatever matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with an oath, and it is hidden from him, and then he comes to know it, He shall confess that in which he has sinned. He shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed. Jesus talked about the trustworthy pledge or the trustworthy oath or vow. There was a legitimate oath. When you invoked God's name, you meant it. It was truth. Today, we put our hand on the Bible. If you're being sworn into court, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. I can't say it. Nothing but the truth. So help me God. Thank you. Are you sure you're telling me the truth? So help me God. Uh, we, we put our hand on the Bible. Now, there are a lot of people being sworn into various places that they're not doing that anymore, which is... Not surprising the way our world is going. But the fact is, when you swore on God's name, it invoked truth, or was supposed to. So, then Jesus addresses the perversion of trivial promises. Now, what what you need to see is that the tradition that he mentions in verse 33 seemed to be biblical. It seemed to have the Old Testament truth. But here's the way they got around it. You see, if you want to swear to make people believe you and yet yet still lie, what are you going to do? Especially when God says, you swear by my name. So they began to swear by everything but God. I swear by heaven. I swear by the temple. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by the hair on my head. And basically, they could swear by anything they wanted to and still lie if they wanted to because they did not invoke God's name. Sounds like a loophole, doesn't it? It is a loophole. 
Now, I call it a trifling attitude. Not only that, but they did not... They would swear about just about anything. It wasn't a great circumstance. Listen, when you get married, that's a big deal, isn't it? That's time to make a vow. If you're called to go to court or testify in a court, that's a big deal. That's when you swear, so help me God. But you don't just go through life swearing. I swear this is true. I swear this is true. He said, first of all, it was real trivial all that they would do. In fact, it had become so indiscriminate and insincere and so commonplace that nobody took it seriously. Nobody believed it. If you didn't use God's name, nobody believes you. The misplaced emphasis was in limiting the real honest oaths to vows to the Lord to oaths made directly to him or in his name, but the keeping of those oaths was mandatory, whereas the keeping of all these other oaths that they made up, nobody cared. The Jews of Jesus' day had put an interesting twist on all of this. They had trouble telling the truth consistently, so in order to guard themselves of being found guilty or swearing falsely by my name, as God said, they just swore by everything except God. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Did you ever say that? How'd you get around it? <laughs> Had my fingers crossed. Yeah, I can tell y'all have done that. I see that. <laughs> yeah, let me see your hands. Say that again. Let me see your hand. Oh, okay. That's similar to what they were doing. James Boyce referred to this as evasive swearing. They created a lesser class of oaths, a lesser class of vows. People would swear by heaven, by earth, by the temple, by the hairs on their head, and that routine oath-making was usually lie-making. And the sad thing is it was considered perfectly acceptable by everybody. And Jesus' point was that God is behind all of that. That's when he said, don't swear by heaven and don't swear by the temple. See, God created the heaven. God created Jerusalem. God created the temple. God created your hair. You said, God's behind the creation. And when you swear by anything, God's still behind it. In other words, quit doing that. You think you're so holy just because you've never swore to God. Well, I swear by the temple. I swear by heaven, whatever. He said, it's just as bad. Every lie is against God. Why does God hate lying? Because it's totally opposite of his nature. Amen. John 8, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, who is the father of lies, and in him is no truth at all. That's a stout statement. He said, that's the very opposite. And when you come to follow Christ, your heart and your attitude and your integrity changes. But the point he's making here, he says, you religious people think you're so holy and so mighty and so pious, and yet inside you're a liar. You're full of, you're full of lies. It's amazing how people lie. A butcher 
years ago they had live chickens and they would people could buy a live chicken if they wanted to he 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 had just one chicken and a lady came in and said i i want to buy a, a nice chicken mrs jones said so he came in and weighed it and they said mrs jones this one will be a dollar 98 and she said well if you don't mind i'd like one just a little bigger so he took that chicken back in the back and he made a few noises and he came back with the same chicken put it on the scale and said mrs jones this will be two dollars and 25 cents Mr. Jones said, that's great. I'll take both of them. <laughs> it's going to find you out. So they had this trivi- trifling attitude. I'll just swear about everything. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on this and I swear. People today, they usually if they start trying to emphasize their statement it means they're used to not telling the truth and you know it and you're not going to believe them anyway no this time I really mean it this time I really mean it well not only was this this trivial attitude but there was this tragic assumption here Leviticus 19 12 says you shall not swear falsely by my name and so They swore by every other name. Leviticus 19.12, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word and he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Rabbinic tradition began to contradict this. Is it ever wrong to lie? Now, you better think twice. I read some interesting comments about this. For example, was it wrong for the Allied forces to flat out lie and deceive Hitler on, the day, on D-Day so that he wouldn't know they were coming to Normandy? They had a whole other fake battalion. They lied to him. Is that okay? I think so. <laughs> and what man in here has not had something similar when you're asked this question. When I wear this, does this make me look? (laughs) You better lie. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. Obviously, there's some tact involved sometimes you can be tactful when you answer people you know but to never tell a lie does not mean you're just as blunt as you can be but they had changed it and you know sometimes we it's not that we flat out tell a lie we just don't tell all of the truth I can relate to the man who went fishing didn't catch a fish I've had a few days like that that's why they call it fishing and not catching but he was on his way home and he stopped by the fish market and he walked in and said, I need 10 of those fish, but I want you to throw them to me so that when I get home, I can say I caught them. (laughs) It's all in how you tell it, isn't it? The fellow was walking through the cemetery one day and he noticed a tombstone that read, here lies an honest man and a fisherman. And he said, man, they're putting two people in the hole now. You see, the perversion, we, we twist it. We, we've gotten this attitude that 
it's okay. It's just a way of life. But it shows the heart, doesn't it? Oh, you may look good on the outside, but, but Jesus is saying, listen, you've you're found a loophole. So then he mentions the practice of truthful profession. Jesus is not forbidding all oaths. Many years ago, a lot of the Quakers, some of, even some of the Anabaptists, would not even swear an oath in court, and they got in trouble for it. Some of them were even put into jail because of it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is saying that the Old Testament standard has been misconstrued and perverted by tradition. Oaths are to be used only on important occasions and are to be given only in the name of the Lord. A couple of things quickly. First, speak responsibly. When you speak, think before you speak. And when you speak, let it be truth. Ted Engstrom gives a succinct definition of integrity. He said, simply put, integrity is doing what you said you would do. It means keep your promises. Truth has no degrees or shades. A half-truth is a whole lie. And a white lie is really black. God has never had any standard lower than absolute truthfulness of every person he desires. Truth in the innermost being, Psalm 51.6. If you tell God you're going to do something, you can make a commitment to the Lord. You say, I'm going to serve here. I'm going to give here. I'm going to honor you here. I'm going to do this. Follow through. George Munzing is a pastor tells a time he went to counsel a family about their son's drug abuse and drug use. And the father was distraught as he described the impact of drugs upon his relationship with his son. And he said, the thing that bothers me most about him being into drugs is the fact that drugs have made him a liar. Moments later, the phone rang and his wife went to answer. She came back into the room with the message that the call was for the father. And he said, well, tell them I'm not at home. And Munzing then commented that drugs had not made the boy a liar. The father had. Speak responsibly. Think before you speak. Don't make a commitment that you're not planning to keep. Don't tell somebody you're going to come to something and then not come. Unless you call them and say, I've been hindered. I'm sorry I can't make it. You don't just show up. You would be amazed how many people say they're going to come do something and they don't do it. Don't be one of those people. Not only is your name at stake, but so is the Lord's name at stake. And not only that, but speak reliably. Tell the truth. I read about a schoolboy who brought home his report card. It had a lot of bad grades on it. His dad said, son, what have you got to say about this? He said, well, one thing's for sure, dad. You can be proud of me. You know I haven't been cheating. But when you're promised, when you promise to be faithful to your mate, integrity says you'll stay with that person. If you promise the Lord that you'd give them the glory, integrity means you'll keep on doing that whether you're reduced to nothing or exalted to the highest pinnacle on earth. If you promised a friend that you would return a call, integrity means you return it. If you promised your child that you would spend Saturday together, integrity says you need to keep that appointment. 
A promise is a holy thing, whether it's made to the chairman of the board or to a child. When you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, you just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. Some people might think you're a straight-shooting chum and call you a wonderful guy, but the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end, and you've passed your most dangerous test if the guy in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. We are to be people of our word. Don't make a promise lightly. If you say you're going to pray for somebody, pray for them. That's become kind of a cliche. Well, I've been praying for you. Have you really? I've been thinking about you. Have you really? You just saw me. Now you thought about me. You see what I'm talking about, folks? If there's ever a group of people that ought to be trustworthy, it ought to be God's people. Why? Because he's changed our hearts. Now, the good news is God loves liars. In fact, the first people Jesus picked as his disciples were liars, fishermen. (laughs) Hey, I fish, therefore I lie. I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) In all seriousness, we are forgiven through God's grace. We can't undo the lies that we've told. But the good news is, you know what? If you always tell the truth, you don't ever have to worry about making up anything. I want to tell you the truth. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody else tell you there's any other way because there's not. I'm I'm quoting Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you don't know Jesus, you may know about him, but if you've never made a commitment of your life to him, you're not saved. I knew a lot about Jesus before I ever knew Jesus. Repented of my sin, asked God to forgive me, invited Christ into my life. There are a lot of people who know about Jesus, but they don't know him. I remember singing a song as a child. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Pastor David. The thing about oaths is that they're only as reliable as the one who's making it. In verse 33, though, Jesus provides us with the principle of trustworthy pledges. Then he addresses the wrong attitudes and assumptions of those who perverted oaths into something trivial and worthless. 
Jesus completes his thoughts on this matter by instructing the hearer about practicing truthful profession, speaking responsibly, reliably, letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.